good day, and thank you for listening to the Jeff Casella Program. Here from the annuals of history and from the files from Paul Harvey and the rest of the story comes the kiss. Charlie Ross was a teacher's pet, high school graduating class, 1901. The teacher was Miss Tilly Brown, an English teacher, young and attractive. Everyone knew Charlie was Miss Brown's favorite. And because Miss Brown was such a popular teacher, it placed a lot of pressure on poor Charlie. Charlie had to work very hard to defend his title, teacher's pet. He had to read and study a little bit more than everyone else. Even at that, the other students made jokes behind Charlie's back. <laughs> Charlie had better uh, amount to something someday, or Miss Brown would never forgive him. As you'd guessed, Charlie did amount to something one day, and perhaps directly because of what happened during graduation exercises. Addresses have been made, diplomas have been handed out, and something else no one expected. Charlie's turn came to receive his diploma from none other than Miss Tilly Brown, the beloved English teacher, who rose to congratulate Charlie personally with none other than a kiss. Well, that did it. Charlie may have been class valedictorian, he may have been editor of the new, of the student yearbook. He may even have been the teacher's pet. Did that entitle him to such an honor, a kiss from the class's cherished Miss Brown, the attractive Miss Brown? After graduation exercises were over, there should have been laughing, shouting, excitement. Instead, there was a quiet disappointment. Many of the graduates, especially the boys, resented Miss Brown's unabashed display of favoritism, so much that a handful of these boys approached Miss Brown, and one of them asked her why others had been so conspicuously neglected. She stood firm. She said Charlie had earned a special recognition. She said when the others had done something worthwhile, they'd get kissed too. She'd see to that. If this made the other boys feel a little bit better, it made Charlie feel even worse. He'd been the object of this minor scandal. He had been the cause of all those hard, hard and harsh feelings, as well as those hurt feelings. In life, after high school, Charlie would most certainly have to prove himself worthy of Miss Brown's congratulatory kiss, and he did. You see, in the years that followed, Charlie worked very hard. He entered the newspaper business and eventually so distinguished himself that he was handpicked by none other than President Harry Truman to be the White House press secretary. What a great honor. Now, the selection of Charlie for the job was no mere accident for the leader of the boys who approached Miss Brown for the graduating class of 1901, the one who told her that he and the others felt left out. And you guessed it, Harry Truman. It was to him that she said, do something worthwhile and you'll get that kiss too. 
So is it any wonder that Charlie's first duty as presidential press secretary, that's his very first assignment, to call Miss Tilly Brown in Independence, Missouri. And the message delivered from the President of the United States, Harry Truman, how about that kiss I never got? Have I done something worthwhile enough to rate it now? President Truman got his kiss. And that's the rest of the story. Wow. And one more for the annals. This will be quite interesting and see if you know who this gentleman is. I just gave you a clue. It's a he. So as far back as anyone can remember, Christopher knew where he was going. He was a clean-cut lad, bright, well-behaved. The kind any parents would be proud to call their son. His father, a major general in the Air Force, who was so immensely proud when young Christopher announced his intention someday to join the military. Chris was 10, but even then, he knew what he must do. First concern, graves. After grades, achievement, an airtight academic record. Then Brownsville, Texas born Christopher was in high school. His dad was transferred to San Mateo, California. There were the usual family adjustments connected with the move and if ever a boy had the excuse to falter, it was Christopher. But instead he, he excelled. To his classmates, a square, or remember that phrase, a square, while the others bought bebop records, Christopher bought ballads. When others stayed out late, Chris stayed home and studied. He had a plan, and no one knew better than he what it would take. Well, after high school, Christopher attended the private Pomona College in Claremont, California. By, that, by this time, excellence was becoming an obsession. And we're talking about scholastic excellence as well as athletic excellence. No, he didn't play football. He just did more than just play football. He had to be the football hero. And with that, a Golden Gloves boxer, a sports writer for the student newspaper, and an ROTC commander. By now, any career in the world he might choose was drawing within his grasp. But not just any career for Christopher. For receiving his degree from Pomona, Christopher entered the Atlantic Monthly Collegiate short story contest. And you know what? He won first prize. Then the ultimate prestigious academic recognition, a Rhodes Scholarship, a Rhodes Scholarship and on to Oxford. There's no hesitating or soul searching, no resting on his laurels. By the time Christopher reached Oxford, he had written one novel, was beginning a second, and book publishers 
were clamoring for his manuscripts. But Christopher had something else in mind. He told his daddy about it when he was 10. So after graduating from Oxford, after achieving as much as any young man could, Christopher joined the army. By joining the army, he went through jump school, through ranger school, through flight school. He was a pilot, a captain, and was stationed in Germany. And at last, the big break, the assignment he had dreamed about, back to the United States to become a major, to become an instructor, where at West Point. Some just seem to know from the beginning where they're headed, what life expects of them. But it seemed to be, for Christopher, a boy who, from the beginning of elementary school, concerned himself with grades instead of grumbling. A boy who, from the start, was called a square, but didn't care. A football hero, a novelist, a Golden Gloves boxer, an ROTC commander, a Rhodes Scholar, a young man like that, who could go anywhere a captain about to become a major, a West Point instructor about to live a childhood dream. A young man like that could go anywhere. He could do anything, in or out of the military. So Christopher, the same Christopher that I just told you about, became a name that you'd know. For Christopher became the number one recording artist of cow country classics in the hillbilly ballads. But you better, but you know him better as Chris Christopherson. Certainly hope you enjoyed those tidbits. Like to bring in something new and different each time of our program. It's so interesting that. The, the facts that come out from people's lives and what they've done in the past and, and how they got there. And it should be uplifting to you listening about a gentleman that seemed to basically conquer the world instead of the world conquering him. Let's now tune to the Bible lesson at hand in the next portion of the program. I recently read an article from Thy Kingdom Come. In fact, it is the August issue, 2023, from uh, Holly Mills. And she says, as I see it, bless the beast and the children. Now, if many of you are like me, you probably remember the carpenters who sang this very song. It says, bless the beast and the children, for the world can never be. The world they see light their way when the darkness surrounds them. Give them love. Let it shine all around them. Bless the beast and the children. Give them shelter from a storm. Keep them safe. Keep them warm. When reading the article, uh, it's come out about the uh, movie, The Sound of Freedom. I, like many people, I've pretty much quit going to the movies because there's really not anything that I want to see on there. Between the language the uh, sexual intones, uh, the uh, 
the graphics, um, the language. I mean, I, I can't think of enough synonyms that go on about how bad the movies have gotten. But this particular movie, The Sound of Freedom, which, according to what she said, was not, not being put out or rejected by Fox and Disney, to name a couple, was being put out by Angel Studios. And it'll be a, and already is a controversial movie, as it's about child trafficking. Now, here we are in 2023, and we're talking about child trafficking. Something back when I was growing up, we didn't worry about. But not only are we hearing about it, this is just beyond terrible. Because as I have not seen the movie, I can't totally speak about it. But I did see an interview with actor Jen Cavizel, and I hope I'm saying it correctly who plays CIA agent Tim Ballard. The movie's based on his real-life experience. He formed Operation Underground Railroad in 2013, which was, the route, which was to root out trafficking efforts going on around the world. It was a very moving interview, and I'm sure this will be a heartbreaking movie to watch. I believe it's one that must be seen to understand the depth of the evil that is going on in our world today. And she goes on to write, could it be the thing that finally wakes up, wakes each of us up, rather, to the horror of our sin and wickedness, the exploitation of our children? According to the movie, it states that at least 2 million children are trafficked each year. I'm like her. This is just absolutely unbelievable in that uh, these are innocent children. They, it's not their fault that they're going through these terrible things. But these are God's children. God's children, his creation. Or again, man in his whatever the word is, is evil, is trafficking an innocent child. So I want you to turn with me to Matthew 18. Verses one through six. This is the NIV version and it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, again, we all have a tendency to get a little pompous and things are going so well and we're sitting on top of the world. Jesus called a little child and had him stand among them. And Jesus truly loved children, truly loved children. It's all through the New Testament, he talks about children and he said i tell you the truth unless you change and become like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven therefore whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven 
And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if, but if, and here's a key part, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Yes, Satan and his minions are having a real big time of it. And for those men and women out there that have these evil thoughts that are trafficking pedophiles, uh, sexual child pornography and perversion, God has given you and I to let those know if you come in contact with them to let our pastors know to speak in the pulpits and to have Christians speak out upon this very subject that we do not stand for this and that action definitely needs to be taken for this. whether it be jail or death. But you see, God doesn't mince his words. He says, point blank. And this is point blank. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, and that's sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. You see, with sin, there's a penalty. This particular penalty is the wages of, of this sin is death, point blank. And yet, this very major underlying problem is happening in today's society. And we turn and sweep it underneath the rug. We need men and women in our judicial systems to enforce the law, that being the Ten Commandments. You see, for those that that those of you that don't believe in the Ten Commandments or believe that a person for a violent crime such as murder, in the case of two or more people, have seen it that they should be hung that night. And for you that out there that is against the death penalty, all I can tell you is simply this. What about the child that's been defiled because of a pedophile who could have very well done it in your own family? What about the child pornographer and the pornography and the trafficking? God had created America to be a light in the world, to be the head and not the tail. And by its laws, God's laws, that America would be a battle axe. And here is one subject where America would be to the rest of the world that said, we will not stand for this. This is the penalty, point blank.
that every child will be protected the same way Jesus says that every child will be protected. We need more movies accordingly, like The Sound of Freedom. We need more independent filmmakers that are, that are not afraid to step on toes. We need more truth and less bull. And we need our media outlets to get behind those that are trying to do right instead of doing that which is wrong. Yes, Satan's having his way. But again, if we put the full armor of God upon us, put God in front of us, he will make sure that we never fail. But once we take our eyes off God, we will constantly fail. Well, hold on, don't go anywhere because I'm going to do the economic portion of the uh, next lesson. And uh, I want to read something from you, or to you rather, that I think you'll find is very, very interesting. Don't go away. I just came upon an article. Uh, in fact, it's a commentary from the Philadelphia Trumpet in August 2023. This is so interesting because this is a gentleman from Zimbabwe. His name is Rufaro Manyepa. And it says, why American Christians have lost their power. Now, the interesting part of this is, is that this is not an American, but rather someone from Zimbabwe. And this is the information that he's putting over. In many ways, America is leaps and bounds ahead of my home country of Zimbabwe. Like the rest of the world, Zimbabweans want to live, eat, speak, and dress like Americans. One reason we couldn't and don't was the corrupt regime of Robert Mugabe. However, or perhaps singularly collectively source of pride in his leadership was his refusal to compromise with the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, asexual, two-spirit plus agenda. Most of Africa is the same. To cheers and applause in its parliament, Uganda kicked off Pride Month in June by passing a historic anti-LGBTQ law. According to this law, the penalty for having same-sex relations is a 10-year prison sentence. Promoting homosexuality results in a $260,000 fine or 20-year imprisonment. Any homosexual who commits statutory rape while HIV positive is subject to death. A very prominent Republican senator from the state of Texas said this, this Uganda law is horrific 
and wrong, grotesque, and an abomination, according to Republican Senator Ted Cruz, an avowed Christian. Premier Christianity wrote that we should offer unconditional, compassionate support to LGBT people in your own community and networks. Christianity Today said we can't pretend the Ugandan homosexuality law is Christian. Why is Senator Cruz defending homosexuality and why is mainstream Christianity increasing pro-homosexuality? Many Christians are joining forces with conservative homosexuals to fight against what they consider the greater evils of transgenderism and pedophilia. Meanwhile, other churches are wholeheartedly proclaiming a false gospel of queerness. The Presbyterian Church is making prayers to the God of pronouns, while the United Methodist Church is about to ordain a drag queen. The Harvard Divinity School is offering a course on queering congregations, contextual approaches for dismantling heteronormality. According to a transgender professor at Yale Divinity School, Christianity, rightly understood, is about the transgression of boundaries. Christians believe in a God whose love undoes every binary. All the laws are negated, including the law of contractual sexuality, which is marriage. I'm going to stop right there for a moment and say sin is sin. If you murder someone, sin. If you steal something as simple as a paperclip, sin. If you're a homosexual and you keep the homosexual lifestyle, that's sin. God hates sin. There's no way of getting around this, folks. God hates sin. He created you for a choice. You have a choice. You have a choice. You can either do what's right or do what's wrong. But the thing of it is, is sin is sin, and you keep on doing it. It's as though you're saying, I stole that paperclip. Please forgive me in my sin. Okay. And you turn right around, and you do it again. You do it again, and you do it again. And you ask forgiveness. Ask forgiveness. Well, you know what? If you truly love God, truly love him, you're going to confess your sin and not do it again. You see, deep down in, in, in your conscience, you know it's wrong. Things are wrong. But you have this, we all have this thing that bubbles up that says, yeah, but it's all about me. I love it. It's my lifestyle. Whether it's abortion, because it's about my body. Okay. Oh, great. So who created you? God, simple. You see, when you get right down to it and you go right down to the point, the very first point, it's not about what you and I say. It's about what God says in his laws. 
And if we read and say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, my laws, and my statutes. Or you can take the other approach like Satan that says, foo-foo on God, and uh, you'll love me. you love the world. You're going to enjoy it. Well, guess what? One day you're going to die. Then what's going to happen? But I can't get over people that are in various churches that condone what their pastors are saying. Are you, do you have your head in the sand? I mean, honestly, let's begin with the Methodist Church, the United Methodist Church, which at least around here in South Carolina, I know of three that have broken away. Would you really want a drag queen to be your preacher? Would you want a drag queen to be your preacher or your Sunday school teacher of a child? And for you Presbyterians out there, the God of pronouns, he is he and she is she. That's it. God created man in his image. You know, when you get right down to it, it's just that blatant. It's just that blunt. And these are children. According to the Bible, up to the age of 18, you're a child. And you're under your parents' rules and obligations because they offered you to God as a blessing because he gave you your child. And to put a decision upon a child that that he's a she or she's a he. The children. And is it right? Well, like I said, God created man in his own image after his own likeness. So we move on, and I hope this upsets people. I really do. It's time that people need to be upset. It's time that people need to read the Bible. And it's time to get right with God. And you can say whatever you want to say, but the point of it is one day you will be, as well as I will, will be before the judge. I say this lovingly because I believe that all people that have sinned can quit sinning, will follow what God says, which he says, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments my laws, and my statutes. In return, he'll give you the blessings or he'll give you the curses. The Bible says that sin is a transgression of God's law. That's uh, 1 John 3, 4. Yet many Christian leaders today agree more with a transgender professor than with the Bible. They teach that Jesus Christ himself abolished God's law. I've heard that. 
they compromise with and even reject the laws of the very God they claim to worship. This is why many churches, churches have reason that homosexuality should be tolerated or even celebrated. Christians today are so powerless in the face of such open, agrarious evil because they fundamentally disagree with God's law. They believe that God's law is bad and complicated. God says the law is good, Romans 7, 12. They believe the law was done away with. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 17 says it. This is what Jesus said. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. They think the law is a litany of impossible, restrictive ordinances. God says it defines his way of life, which is love. Both in Romans 13, 8 through 10 and Galatians 5, 14. As I read down with this article, not only am I in full agreement, but I'm going to skip down to the very bottom and give you the last few paragraphs. Mainstream Christianity ignores the crucial point Jesus made whenever he interacted with sinners. Go and sin no more, John 8.11. Christ knew that he would die for our sins. Why then bother telling us to stop sinning? Why tell us to change our behavior if his brutal death would erase the sin anyway? Because God hates every instance of lawbreaking, Proverbs 8.13. He wants us to become perfect as he is, the very purpose for which we were created, Matthew 5.48. God and sinning more makes us more guilty. Or I should see, I, I'm sorry, going and sinning more makes us more guilty, makes us less like him, renders us unavailable to be born into his family. This is why God wants us to stop sinning. He wants us to keep his laws. This is why the brutal beating and death of a son was a steep price that had to be paid for transgressed law. Homosexuality is wrong. Breaking the Sabbath is wrong. Failing to tithe is wrong. That's the law. Disbelieving it won't change it. No more than disbelieving the law of gravity will make you fly. God's law is reality, and comprising with it will break your power. Yes, it will. It'll break our power. But my belief is, in the conclusion of this, is if you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, then why do you want to break his heart? Why not just keep his commandments, his laws, and his statutes and receive what is good and wonderful from him because he has a bounty. He's shown it. Just look around you. Yes, we, there is multiple turmoil. 
But the good gracious news is, is that God will not put more on you than what you can handle. And I know that's easy for me to say, but I've been there. I know what it's like. I have in my lifetime known what it's like. And God has never failed me. But also many times as a sinner, I failed him. To which I've repented and I am fully feel and know as personally what's going to happen to me after I go to sleep. I can only ask that of yourselves. And most importantly is that the power that we once lost, we can only regain, but we don't regain it upon our strength, but on the strength of God. So may God bless you this day and each day. And most importantly, besides the blessings, may you have a wonderful day. And if you would, turn to my website, www.understandinggodslaws.com, where you can drop me a note or share your feelings. And, and please keep it nice. And uh, I look forward uh, to the next lesson, which will be the Depression in the 1920s. I did uh, quite a study on the Depression under Understanding God's Laws, and I think it's now time to pull this out because we are beginning to see many of the characteristics that the folks in the 20s saw also. Until next time, may God bless you and all you do, and may you bless God in all things.